Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello. Welcome to It Could Happen Here. We are taking a week off, and I've chosen a rerun episode from June of 2022, it was my episode about the media bias in covering Palestine and Israel. Unfortunately, this is an evergreen topic, so I think it's worth re-listening to. Just a reminder of how unfair and irresponsible journalism can be when it comes to Palestine in particular. So, enjoy. Hi, everybody. This wow. Is- Usurped, Jesus, Shireen. Oh, I thought that's what Sophie said I should do. I should. I know the episode. Okay. you did the you did the right thing. I'm the one being an asshole here. Okay, well, uh, this is Shireen. Uh, mm-hmm. This is also it can happen here. It's a podcast mm-hmm. that happens every day that I am now on. Um, you did it. What is it about again? It's about everything happening here. Uh, yes, it's about everything happening here, and this week's episode is about my neighbor Dave. Who appears to be gardening? No, that's not what the show is about. I'm the sorry. The show is no. about how no. the society's crumbling and how maybe we could put it back together. There it is. That's what yeah. it. Yeah, that's what that's and, what it is and about. Shireen, Shireen Wanianis is going to take lead today, but we also have Christopher yes. Wong, Robert Evans, and it is me, Sophie. Yes, that's good. See, this is what I'm going to keep in mind next time if I ever have to do this again, like what uh, introing this show means. I mean, but it is a daily show, so. It is a daily show. <laughs> I have a lot of opportunities to get this right. Um, yeah, I wanted to do something a little different today, so uh, hopefully the listeners are okay with it. Uh, be easy on me. Um, well, and if, if if they're not, we will simply club them into submission. Um, yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, I live for violence. Uh, yeah, that that is why we've spent half of our year's podcasting budget on shillelaghs. <laughs> um, but I wanted to take a couple episodes to talk about something very important that I don't think it's not a lot like enough news coverage, and I want to talk about Palestine. And this first episode, I wanted to focus on how biased news coverage is as far as 
uh, depicting what's happening in Palestine and Israel. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So are you ready? Are you all strapped in? I'm going to start talking at you guys for a long time. Hell yeah, motherfucker. Okay. At the height of the 2014 war between the Israeli military and Palestinian factions in the Gaza Strip, the New York Times ran an article headlined, Israel says that Hamas uses children's shields, reviving debate. Uh, it was a reference to the hundreds of Palestinian civilians who had been killed in the Israeli attacks by that point in the war. And there was no question about who had killed them, yet the language shifted the subject to a debate about who was really responsible. A few weeks earlier, after an Israeli airstrike had killed several Palestinian soccer fans, the Times ran another absurd title titled Missile at Beachside Gaza Cafe Finds Patrons Poised for the World Cup. And they later just found them, huh? Yeah. Wow. Just, yep. They found them poised, just sitting there. It's amazing. Um, People talk about the exonerative case in like <laughs> journalism, and it, it appears to apply to the Israeli military and American mm -hmm. cops. Yes, exactly. Um, and they did later amend this title because they had like a widespread like backlash and disgust that was expressed on social media. Uh, it only changed after that. But the whole point is that headlines matter. And it's the first and sometimes only exposure the general public has to world events. And especially like now, I believe that in our current time, the words at the top of the page or like sometimes the only words that show up in a hyperlink are more important than the articles themselves because sometimes it's all people see before they keep on scrolling. Um, and in the case of Israel and Palestine, uh, inappropriate, misleading and biased headlines like those that appeared in the New York Times that I just mentioned, have been all too common, accepted, and treated as accurate reporting and quote-unquote journalism. Uh, in 2019, there was a study titled 50 Years of Occupation that was published by 416 Labs, which is a research and data, data analytics firm based in Canada. This firm analyzed nearly 100,000 news headlines about the conflict in the American press over the past five decades and found that the Israeli point of view, surprise, surprise, was featured much more prominently than the Palestinian one, and that references to Palestinians' experiences of being refugees or living under occupation, that word especially, that has steadily declined over time. So one of the study's authors, Awaya Sahir, he told The Intercept that the findings demonstrate a persistent bias in coverage of the Israeli-Palestinian issue, one where Israeli narratives are privileged and where, despite the continued entrenchment of the occupation, the very topics germane to the Palestinians' day-to-day -day reality have disappeared. It calls to attention the need to more critically evaluate the scope of coverage of the Israeli occupation and recognize that readers are getting, at best, a heavily filtered rendering of the issue. So this study analyzed 50 years of news headlines on the Israeli-Palestine conflict. I put that in quotes. I feel like conflict is suggests an equal uh, also uh, like understating fight. it. Yes, conflict. exactly. Like, come on. Yeah, it's very uh, it's understating what's actually what's happening, demeaning. and it just depicts a a somehow neutral playing field, but it's not. Sure. But the study analyzed 50 years of headlines from five major American publications, the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. It employed this thing called natural language processing, or NLP, um, and these techniques are used to analyze uh, massive databases of headlines published over this period. NLP is a big data analysis approach used to identify statistical trends and patterns in large caches of text. In this case, researchers analyzed nearly 100,000 headlines and identified dozens of frequently recurring terms and word sequences in stories about the, uh, Israel and Palestine. 
While studies of media coverage on Israel and Palestine have been conducted before, this one by the 416 Labs uh, analysis is the largest and most comprehensive look at headline coverage since the occupation began in 1948. And their findings show a clear slant towards the Israeli perspective. Headlines like the one that I mentioned earlier from the New York Times about civilian deaths in Gaza uh, that use the term Israel says were two and a half times more likely to appear than headlines citing Palestinian equivalents. Headlines centering Israel were published four times more than those centering Palestinians, and words connoting violence, such as terror, appeared three times more than the word occupation. And since 1967, that's the year that the Israeli military took control of the West Bank, there has been an 85% overall decrease in the mention of the term occupation in headlines about Israel, despite the fact that the Israeli military's occupation of the Palestine territory has in fact intensified over this time. And the mention of the term Palestinian refugees, meanwhile, has declined a massive 93%. And while this is maybe subtle from the outside, it's just a a consistent disproportion of article headlines, which by default gives a greater airtime to one side and avoids certain key issues. And this obviously can impact public perception. Yeah, I mean, it's very noticeable once you realize Mm -hmm. what the bias is looking, especially on like social media and stuff, when you see just just the headline of an article. Uh, it's, it's, it's the bias I mean, it's, is obvious. Yeah. It's, it's just, I don't know. Like what you have is a, a conflict where one side is treated like a military force and the other side is treated like, um, almost like weather. Like that's, that's almost how they write about when the Israeli military does something. Mm-hmm. It's it like, like a, like a thunderstorm came in, right? right? Like it's nobody's fault. This is just what a happened, you know, yeah. like the Palestinian, the, you know, the, the Hamas or whatever, that's like a military force. And so we talk about them the way that we talk about, you know, a military force mm-hmm. carrying out a strike or something. But, but the Israeli military is like, it's like with the weather, right? Yeah. Like there's nothing to be, there's no blame to go around. No. It just rained, you know? Yeah. And also like, legitimizes Israel and like delegitimizes any kind of uh, force that Palestine exerts because it's like shown in this like, yeah, like a militant terrorist lens um, when it's just acting in self-defense. It's interesting because the U.S. media actually does a better job of discussing the U.S. military as Mm -hmm. if it actually can be like guilty of, of crimes like the New York Times in particular has done some like. Not that there's not still problems with it, but they it, it like there's there's something unique about the way they write about Israel that I guess not quite unique because they do often write about police in a similar way. But it's yeah. it's very peculiar that it's like I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of crossover with U.S. police and Israel in more ways than one. Oh yes, <laughs> um, they train them first of all, but mm-hmm. also just like the way. And I'll talk more about this later, but the fact that there are so many videos like blatantly showing like brutal acts against like humanity or like just brutalism in in general and like they still get away with it uh, just shows that they know there's no punishment. They know that there's a certain amount of immunity because they have Big Brother America to always fucking get their back. But Mm -hmm. yeah, despite this ongoing American involvement, the total volume of U.S. media coverage about the conflict has been in an overall decline since the 1993 Oslo Peace Accords. This was a negotiated agreement between the then-Palestine leader Yasser Arafat and then-Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, uh, and it was intended to establish conditions for peace in the region. The decline in news coverage says little about the conditions on the ground, uh, because they didn't get better. But the hopes that were briefly raised by this Oslo Peace Accord effectively died in 1995 after an Israeli extremist assassinated Rabin 
and a new hardline Israeli leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, he took power in 1996. And since then, the Israeli military, uh, their occupation of the West Bank has only expanded, with new settlements eating away at the remaining areas of Palestinian control, even while global media attention has declined. And it's not just American media that shows a clear bias that favors Israel. British media coverage on the violence in Palestine is also very biased against Palestinians, which in turn skews public perception internationally. In 2021, the Muslim Council of Britain's Center for Media Marketing, the CFMM, published a 44-page report that was titled Media Reporting on Palestine 2021. And this report came after two weeks of violence in which Israeli police cracked down on protests against the imminent evictions of Palestinians in the occupied East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. This report came after two weeks of violence in which Israeli police cracked down on protests against the imminent eviction of Palestinians in the occupied East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. And this subsequently attacked uh, Palestinian worshippers at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and that wounded hundreds. I don't know if you guys remember, but in 2021, last year, there was a lot of violence occurring in Palestine. There was more coverage than usual, especially covering Sheikh Jarrah. And uh, obviously, news headlines didn't always uh, come at it in an even-handed way. But the brutal escalation of violence that followed as rockets were fired from Gaza and Israeli airstrikes on the besieged enclave, it killed at least 248 Palestinians, including 66 children. In the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem, 29 Palestinians were killed, and the rockets fired from Gaza killed 12 people in Israel. The CFMM stated that between May 7th and May 20th of 2021, um, that's May 20th is when a ceasefire was announced, there were 62,400 online print articles and nearly 8,000 television broadcasts reporting on the events. And this report found that the narrative was extremely unbalanced due to, quote, skewed language, misleading headlines, and problematic framing. Rizwana Hamid, the director of CFMM and the co-author of this report, told the Middle East Eye that the overwhelming amount of complaints that was received by the monitoring organization about the biased media coverage in Britain um, covering the events in Palestine, it aligned with the analysis and evidence that this is all skewed, and it makes sense to get defensive when being rightfully called out. Um, and just to kind of talk a little bit about Sheikh Jarrah and Al-Aqsa really quick, this report cited several examples of media referring to the situation in Sheikh Jarrah, which the situation was Palestinians being forcibly removed from their homes. Um, they called this an eviction or a real estate dispute which implies a legal basis for these forced displacements when in reality it was a, viola a violation of international law. So that's minimizing it to an extreme. <laughs> um, it also found that 50% of broadcast media clips between May 7th and May 10th referred to quote-unquote evictions or similar terms to describe illegal settlement plans in Sheikh Jarrah. And that also kind of just conflates that this is there's nothing you can do. This is like a legal dispute, not your problem. You know, like let them let the mess be over there, and we're just sitting here all pretty in America. Yeah, they make it seem like it's like oh, this landlords. is like a landlord yeah. thing. Yeah. This is like a yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's also this this way in which. I mean, the, the actual thing that is happening is a bunch of people are showing up with guns and stealing people's houses. And this is getting treated as like, oh, this is like, this is, you know, this, this is some kind of sort of like, it's like a it, rental it, dispute. It's yeah, like, yeah, a, yeah. it turns some, into this, this like completely bloodless legal thing. And then, you know, you look at what's actually happening and it's like, yeah, they're stealing people's houses at gunpoint. They are like blowing up children with high explosives. It's just like, yeah. 
it's definitely not presented in an accurate way. And especially if you don't know what's actually happening like you do and you just see these like random headlines and whatever, you don't think it's anything but what it is, what they're selling you. Like, why would you exp- deep dive any further if you're not affected by it, you know? Um, but- and and one, of the, one of the things I noticed, like, when I was reading some of the coverage of this is like the, the, the reporters would like go try to find some kind of legal basis for this and they'd start like they they did these like like five paragraph long things about like weird legal stuff from like 1953 and it's yeah. like this has nothing to do with what's happening yeah. like this is you, you you've taken you've taken the yeah yeah it's it's like like they they've they've taken the exonerative case from from the title and then gone and just done exonerative journalism mm-hmm. yeah i do have to say that, that is I, I we are we keep using the term exonerative case somebody came up with that and i i keep forgetting who it was but it's a uh one of the better <laughs> one of the better developments in discussing the way the media talks about palestine yeah no for Cox. sure yeah yeah it's uh yeah i i just hate the word i hate that even the word journalism has like a it's not i don't even like calling this journalism you know what i mean i don't like that the new york times doesn't use any, anything but it is what it is that's what we got well and it's you know the as is always the frustration with the new york times they have also done some really good journalism mm-hmm. on fucked up shit done by like on the um I think it was the New York Times we did one of the articles on Shireen's murder but that mm-hmm. no that was CNN I think this time yeah um, CNN did a really good article yeah CNN did a really that, good that into, yeah. and it's like all of these like these problems are systemic all of these news agencies have people who do care and who have mm-hmm. like been over there and know how fucked up things are so it's not like there aren't people within the system trying to wrench it it's just yeah. like a sign of kind of how powerful um the fucking how much inertia there is built up in israel's favor here i guess but maybe that's maybe that's too exonerative for what's actually happening i, I think it's also like i'll get into this a little bit later but new york times for example it like there are some writers that are clearly ha- they clearly have a bias in favor of Israel, whether it's like they describe themselves as being like right wing or whatever. Obviously, yes. So it's like it's there's no there's not even an option for ba- balanced journalism if you're giving someone that kind of voice. And there, I mean, even if you are, uh, if you have an opinion, you would think as a journalist you would understand what journalism means when it comes to like reporting accurate and fair information. But I think bias always wins. Um, yeah. But, well, because not yeah. like if you're even if you're like because I think honestly, if you know what's going on there, if you've actually spent uh, time in the area and not just like hung out with the Israeli mm-hmm. military, uh, the the honest take is a, a tremendous amount of sympathy for yeah. the Palestinian cause and Palestinian people. Um, but even so, if you're an honest journalist, you're going to try to be careful. Yeah. And it, like you do have to report on, on stuff like, you know, Hamas missile the, strikes the and whatnot. Deaths. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. But. Because you've got that side and then you've got the people who are overwhelmingly in Israel's corner and refuse to report on the other side of things, the coverage de facto is always going to tilt towards Israel because the side that would be kind of reflexively and and purely on kind of the Palestinian side just has no visibility here, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I don't know, like, what you do with that because this is, again, a broader – as with all these things, these are broader problems in media – but yeah, you know what else is a 
broader, broader problem, problem in media. media. <laughs> it is the fact. It is the fact that me that that news and journalism is heavily advertising supported, mm-hmm. which exactly, leads Robert. to deep amounts of bias uh, in journalism and and also problematic traffic seeking behaviors and a wide variety of things that are careening us all towards an unsurvivable outcome. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Hopefully that was... Um... And if not, well, this is what you get. But yeah, I want to bring up something I'm sorry. about. Wait, so go ahead. No, I just was apologizing for calling the audience motherfuckers. Oh, mother- never apologize for that. Yeah, never apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, go to hell, you sons of bitches. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, also, 
be nice to me. But I want to bring up something that I hear all the time as far as like people that have been to Israel um, on birthright. I want to say that birthright does not count unless you have like critical thinking and you understand how biased that trip even is. And the fact that like you don't even have to be from that land to go back there. Meanwhile, Palestinians are not allowed to even step foot in that land. So that's another episode entirely. I won't get into it, but <laughs> it does really make me mad. And I'll stop there before I rage talk any further. But um, let's go back to Israeli uh, violence and police. So with regards to the violence at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, it resulted in hundreds of Palestinians being wounded. And the report... Uh, the British report that we're talking about documented widespread instances of media outlets using terms like clashes, conflict, scuffles, and skirmishes, which uh, kind of implies equal blame, which is obviously not true because one side is armed in SWAT gear. Um, and it also cited several news reports speaking of an intifada, which uh, it said played into fear-mongering and framing Palestinians as violent aggressors. I want to point out that the word intifada is just an Arabic word that means rebellion or uprising and or a resistance a resistance movement. It's a key concept in contemporary Arabic usage. It refers to a legitimate uprising against oppression. And I feel like like so many Arabic words, it's been skewed into something to fear. Like even the words Allahu Akbar, which literally just means like thank you God <laughs> or like dear God. You know what I mean? Like I think the fact that those words are invoking fear, like it's really breaks my heart to hear like my native language being used to incite fear like trust me i've been on airports with my parents where we've gotten really strange uh looks just for speaking in arabic so again another episode i keep getting distracted there are so many things that make me mad but um i just wanted to bring up that if you're afraid afraid of the word intifada don't be because that's also public media skewing your brain don't believe it and um, Hamid, the director of this organization and the co-author of this report, she said that as far as language is concerned, terms like evictions, max they mask the illegal force removals and expulsion of Palestinians from their homes. References to conflict and clashes, they try to equalize what is, ha what is in effect a battle between David and Goliath. And it also, as I said earlier, masking ethnic cleansing as rental disagreements is absurd, but it's... Uh, uh, it also like implies that there's like a legal basis for everything, um, but it's not surprising at this point. Like I feel like clashes also isn't. It's just anytime you see a writer using the word clashes, it like clashes is just like is it's it's just the coward tense. Mm -hmm. It's it, cl so cl passive. clashes. Yeah, cl clashes yeah. is what you say when you are incredibly desperate not to at any point talk about who started the violence that's happening mm -hmm. and why. Because clashes let you just write it off. It's like, well, okay, there's two people fighting. I mean, yeah, a, cla it's, it's... a clash is fight. Like if you're just if you're discussing like Ukrainian and Russian troops like fighting in a village, like yeah, you can call that a, a clash. Both sides mm -hmm. showed up with tanks and, and 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 weaponry to like fight a war. And if you're talking about the band, the clash, you can talk about the clash. But otherwise, maybe don't use the term clash. Yeah, if you're talking unless about... you're talking about someone like... who's not dressed well. <laughs> or who's dressed really well. One of the two, I forget what. Um, no, but you're right. I think as, especially if you're talking about literal an army coming mm -hmm. to an unarmed family's home and kicking them out, that's not a fucking clash. Yeah. That is 
Yeah, it's, ethnic it's, cleansing. Yeah, or it's like, like you're tear gassing someone in a mosque, mm-hmm. and it's like yeah, this is yeah. not not a clash. No, <laughs> this is a chemical weapons attack. Like what? Yeah, it's yeah. a chemical weapons attack on a house of worship, which is mm-hmm. what what we in the biz call not cool. What's really ironic too is that that mosque and that region, like that point in particular, is sacred to. Muslims, Jewish people, and Christians alike. So the fact that they're desecrating it at all in any way is really ironic to me because it's they don't care about anything. Um, but another area of concern surrounding this reporting on Jerusalem was an overemphasis on religion. That's a good segue. Look at that. An accidental segue. I'll take it. It's pronounced sigwa. Okay. The report <laughs> found that nearly two-thirds of 90... Nearly two-thirds of 90 clips in this time frame uh, refer, refer to Palestinians' religion, uh, in some cases explicitly just saying that they're Muslim. One ITV report from May 10th referenced sirens, which prompted, quote, Jewish worshippers at the Western Wall to flee and run for cover, and Palestinians using the, quote, third holiest site in Islam as a base to throw stones at Israeli police. And while religious significance may be important to note at times— Journalists, I believe, should avoid implying this religious motivation unless it's necessary uh, because it portrays the history of Israel versus Palestine as anything uh, other than settler colonialism. If it's a religious dispute, then it's just like a far away, decades, centuries long fight that there's nothing we can do about it. Our hands are in the air. But really, it's really simple. It's just settler colonialism and skewing it as anything kind, any kind of religious conflict is... Uh, very purposeful to get people not to care uh, and get people not to think that there's a solution. And as I said, not only does this false religious narrative, it ignores the existence of persecution also of Palestinian Christians, because not all, not all Palestinians are Muslim. There are Palestinian Christians um, and Palestinian Jews, but it ignores their existence and uh, their in their persecution by Israel. And it furthers the narrative that there is a centuries-long religious war that is too complex. That word is always used in this conflict. Conflict, again, I hate that word. But it's always used to describe what's happening. It's too complex to talk about or understand, when instead it's opposite. It's the opposite. It's, it's simple. It's an oppressor and there's an oppressed. Israel is an apartheid state that has been ethnic cleansing Palestinians and stealing their land ever since it was established. <laughs> Uh, and I'd even say that war and conflict, it's not a fair fight. It's not an even word. And we've been witnessing a genocide that has been occurring in Israel since it was established. And it's like there's a clear oppressor and a clear oppressed. And any kind of wording that implies otherwise is a lie. Let's go on to Gaza for a moment and the headlines that describe what's happening in Gaza. There are multiple examples of problematic language and framing regarding violence in Gaza An article in The Sun on May 12th of 2021 was titled 15 Kids Massacred in Israel-Hamas Conflict as Netanyahu warns we will inflict blows you couldn't dream of. This headline failed to mention that 14 of the 15 children that were killed were Palestinian because reading it, it implies that those children are all Israeli and Palestinians are monsters. (laughs) That's not the case. Um, And then on the 17th of May of 2021, iNews reported that 42 Palestinians died over the weekend. They died over the weekend. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> From, like, heart failure? Yeah. Like, heat what? wave? Like, yeah. fuck you. Um, it failed to mention that all of those deaths were Palestinians in Gaza that were killed um, because died does not give the same impression as murder. 
uh, if you swap out the truthful word in any of these headlines, it makes a huge difference for people that only see these headlines. Like, 42 Palestinians died is not the same as 42 Palestinians were murdered. There's a huge into, like connotation difference for the people that just read something and move on. And popular headlines tell us time and time again, just like this, that Palestinians have died <laughs> while stating that Israelis, on the other hand, were killed. Israelis don't die. They're always killed. Palestinians, they always die, though. They're never killed. There's a huge uh, misproportion of those two words being used for those sides. Christopher uh, brought up earlier about like passive voice in journalism and saying Palestinians died is another example of that. And biased media outlets use this passive voice and they avoid specifying in its headlines who was killed and who was responsible if it portrays Israel as the aggressor. The use of passive voice de-emphasizes or hides those perpetrating such negative action on Palestinians. And this has the rhetorical effect of minimizing the responsibility of Israeli aggressors and, and causing Palestinian suffering. Uh, a lot of headlines also refer to the Israeli military while referring to Palestinian groups as militants or Islamists, which implies differences in legitimacy, like we mentioned earlier. There are also headlines describing Israeli airstrikes of having come, quote, after Hamas rocket attacks, but this ignores that the violence from Israeli settlers and police in Jerusalem preceded those rocket attacks. It's like starting in the middle of a fight where you punch in self-defense and that's where the article starts. Like, you punch someone, not the person that punched you first. Maybe that's a bad example, but it's just think of it that way. You're starting in the middle of a timeline versus the beginning. And Hamid told uh, the Middle East Eye that the media narrative erases history, context, and legitimacy of the Palestinian cause by presenting Palestinians as the aggressors and Israel as acting in self-defense when it is quite the opposite. And I can't talk about <laughs> Palestine or Israel without mentioning the anti-Semitism claims that a lot of people bring up every time you mention Palestine. Other instances of, of skewed media coverage, they included articles that conflated pro-Palestinian activism with anti-Semitism. There was an article in The Telegraph that said that demonstrators in London that were in support of Hamas were therefore anti-Semitic because the group was committed to the elimination of Jews, which is not correct. I, <laughs> I don't agree, obviously, with everything that Hamas does, but you have to keep in mind that no one else is fighting for Palestinians and desperate times, desperate measures, and there's no, there's never a reason to excuse any kind of murder of any anyone that's unarmed or innocent, but again, it's David and Goliath. What, ch what choice does Palestine have if no one in the international community is coming to the rescue and uh, well, and, and yeah. every everyone who anyone who supports any military action anywhere supports the kind of collateral damage that Hamas does. They just yes. support it under different circumstances and with different weapon systems. Doesn't yeah. make it okay to fire rockets blindly into a city, but the United States Air Force fires way more rockets just as blindly into way more cities. Um, yes. It's like, yeah, war is horrible. It's fucked up and bad. It doesn't say anything about the broader cause. Like, sure, certainly mm -hmm. you can have, you know, whatever the moral there's moral condemnation to be had for military leaders uh, with Hamas, as there is for the military leaders with any yeah. militant force and for, you know, some of the soldiers doing some of those things. But at the end of the day, it says nothing about the overall righteousness of the cause, because there's not a discrepancy in the willingness to accept civilian casualties between Hamas and Israel. Mm -hmm. um, they're both very willing to accept civilian casualties in pursuit of their goals. So you have to set 
that aside, when you're trying to determine what is what is happening here and where is righteousness, and I think righteousness overall lies on the side being ethnically cleansed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well said. I think it's a good place to take an ad break, and that's you know who that. also okay. condones heavy civilian casualties in pursuit of their goals. The good people. Of I was right. going to say, but that works mm-hmm. too. That does also work. Honestly, has gotten a lot more people killed than Hamas, right? <laughs> like, like it, probably. To be, to be fair, they they may have like, gotten more people killed than the Israeli military I, has has caused yikes. a lot of bloodshed over the years. Yikes! <laughs> anyway, here's our sponsors at. Bean Dad, the dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, we're back. Um, before the break, we were talking about pro-Palestinian activism being conflated with anti-Semitism. And I want to bring up this um, quote from a Daily Mail column. Commentator Richard Littlejohn stated that anti-Semitism, like COVID, comes in waves. This is the Palestinian variant. Excuse me? Wow. Sometimes I just have to like read that and really just remember what planet I'm on. But this research also mentions examples of insufficient challenge to views in broadcast interviews. This included a Sky News interview with Tzipi Hotoveli, the Israeli ambassador to the UK, failing to sufficiently answer or be challenged on questions about ethnic cleansing in Sheikh Jarrah. Uh, she has previously described herself as a religious right-winger and has referred to the 1948 displacement of 750,000 Palestinians displacement. as a, quote, No, listen. She describes it as a, quote, strong and popular Arab lie. <sighs> this is the Israeli ambassador <sighs> to the UK. And it's, like, there's a lot that's frustrating here. One is that, like, you do have to take some care. when you, Particularly when you talk about the media complicity in like pushing the Israeli narrative and all of the different uh, things like APAC that like fund U.S. politicians and whatnot, because like it is it, you do have to be careful to not like veer into conspiracy territory and you have to be careful with the sources that you pick, because mm -hmm. since a lot of mainstream news doesn't cover it, you find some of this written about by people who are definitely not the folks you want to have on your yes. side. But that doesn't make talking about this anti-Semitic. It yeah. just means that the entire discourse is poisoned because of the way the internet functions. Yeah. And, yeah, no. Good point. I'm not going to expand because I'll just restate it in a worse way. But um, this that quote just really baffles my mind, especially because this person has a lot of power as an ambassador. But she's also been accused of holding racist and Islamophobic views and has expressed support for the annexation of the entire illegally occupied West Bank. Mm. Yeah. Really great stuff there. Something. No, it seems like nobody's calling that racist, though. Huh? No, exactly. You know, cool. yeah, and, and like, like you think, like you think about that the fucks. reaction to like, to like, hey, yeah, we, we're we like, we want to literally take over all of this land. And like, you can compare that to the reaction to like someone saying from the river to the sea, which like yeah. everyone immediately loses their minds. And it's just oh, like, yeah. yeah, this is the ambassador saying this yes. stuff, and nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, it's really unsettling. And having someone like that in power, as I'll mention later with Netanyahu. Uh, someone that is so uh, right wing or like uh, con extremist, it just like um, it it encourages people like that that, it, that in in the in the population it encourages that kind of belief system to like expand, just like Donald Trump did, just like Donald Trump did with his yeah. fan base or fan base, his base. But the drizzle, um, as we call yeah. it around here, yeah. The British report that I'm mentioning also uh, it reported that Palestinians were regularly asked to answer for the actions of Hamas and recommended that spokespeople for the group should instead be given a platform to respond to allegations. Meanwhile, you don't see like random Israelis being asked to answer for murders committed by the IDF. It's always very one sided. In 2021, there was also another study that was conducted by MIT uh, titled The New York Times Distorts the Palestinian Struggle. It was written by Holly M. Jackson, and it was tracking changes in news coverage bias, uh, showing how anti-Palestinian bias has persisted in the Times coverage by analyzing its articles during the first and second Palestinian intifadas, both periods in which Israeli violence far exceeded that committed by Palestinians. 
Deploying machine learning methods to analyze over 33,000 articles, Jackson focused on bias in the language of the Times, reporting through two linguistic features. First was to identify whether actions by Israeli and Palestinian groups were being described in the active and passive voice, and the second was to classify the objectivity and tone of the language used. And this content analysis conducted across 16,000 articles during the first Intifada, which was from 1987 to September 1993, it revealed some revealing results. Nearly 93% of these articles reference Israelis, while only 40% reference Palestinians, and about 12% of all references to Palestinians use violent language, as opposed to only 5.9% for Israelis. Palestinians, meanwhile, were referred to in the passive voice nearly 16% of the time, while the passive voice was used only about 6% of the time to describe Israelis. And like, I know this is just like all numbers and percentages, because we obviously know how biased it is, but I think it's helpful to like scientifically, mathematically see that this is like actually accurate. And there's not just like us talking about it. This is actually true. So I do believe these studies are very important in showing people that might be, uh, I don't know, um, skeptical that this is actually the reality. And then Jackson also highlighted that during this period, the Times stable of reporters were filled with those no, with those with known prejudices like Thomas L. Friedman and Joel oh, Brinkley, Friedman. who framed their articles by elevating Israeli perspectives alongside blatant anti-Palestinian sentiment. So, like we said, uh, they're giving platforms to people with really clear biases. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. also, Tom Thomas Friedman, uh, famously super fucking bullish on the Iraq War. Uh, and also very famously said when he was trying to rally support for the Iraq war, that the Iraq war was about telling Muslims to quote, suck on this good guy, wow. Tom Friedman, real cool dude. Wow. Unbiased. I mean, that's uh, they, love they, it. They, they gave this man a Pulitzer. I think you they gave what? him they, multiple of I, them. I, I would give him a Pulitzer very quickly and thrown overhand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that makes me sick. Thank you for sharing that. I'm glad I know that now. It's cool shit. He doesn't yeah. talk about that anymore. <laughs> Keeps his goddamn mouth shut, doesn't he? Shuts the not. absolute fuck up. I mean, um, realizing that was the Iraq War, and now he's he's still obviously given a platform to talk about Palestine. There's no there's no repercussion or even like red flags about this kind of language because it's accepted and it's very really normalized. Um, oh, it sucks. Yes. Um, headlines surveyed for bias dredged up editorials like, quote, Israel and Arab neighbors must bend a little, no more Palestine, end quote, and Israel has controlled little of Palestine. So they're really clearly trying Jesus. to frame this in an incorrect way. I'm like, as if, as, as if Israel's Arab neighbors haven't basically just abandoned Palestine by this point, right? Like yeah. it has been pretty much like even the like fucking idiot tankies talk about how like Assad supports them, but he put them into fucking camps. He's like arrested yeah. and tortured and killed Palestinian well, activists. And, and like and like uh, you know one of the, the 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 thing none of these people ever want you to do is is Google Google what uh, Hafez al Assad was fucking doing. And uh, mm -hmm. why, why, why he didn't bring in the air force at a a, a certain very critical moment that, like, yeah. uh, Hafez al Assad, famed buddy of Henry K, my friend. Yeah, <sighs> everyone's friends. That's... Everybody's friends. That's what makes <laughs> politics fun. Yeah. Additionally, 
there was a systematic attempt to highlight petty disputes between Palestinian groups or contradictions in their leader's strategy to frame Palestinians as irrational or disorganized. Um, and I will say that there has been significant changes in U.S. media coverage of the conflict, especially in the last couple of years. And this is driven in part by popular pressure coming from social media. Um, there are also signs that Israel is becoming a partisan issue that divides liberals and conservatives in the U.S., with polls showing that growing numbers of Americans would like their government to take a more even-handed stance on the conflict. However, hardline supporters of the Israeli government have seemingly shifted their approach from winning, quote, hearts and minds to punishing opponents. They've published blacklists of Palestinian activists. They've censored public figures that are vocal about the conflict. They've smeared them as anti-Semitics. And they've advocated for laws to restrict boycotts uh, of Israeli goods. I want to just take a really quick sidebar to mention that boycotting works. I'll do another episode probably one day about the BDS movement. But BDS stands for Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, and it works to end international support for Israel's oppression of Palestinians um, and pressure Israel to comply with international law um, just by boycotting products and uh, companies that are either based in Israel or have products from Israel. And it works because Israel doesn't like it. And I think that's fair. Like, that's telling enough that if Israel has a problem with boycotting shit, you should keep doing it. And it's now a vibrant global movement. Made out of, it's made up of unions, academic associations, churches, and grassroots movements across the world. Uh, BDS launched in 2005, and it has a major impact in effectively challenging international support for Israeli apartheid and settler colonialism. So that's my sidebar about BDS. But nonetheless, people that have followed the U.S. debate on the quote-unquote conflict for decades say that there are serious tectonic changes occurring at the level of the American public, both in media and in popular sentiment. Phyllis Bennis, the director of the New Internationalism Project at the Institute for Policy Studies, a D.C.-based progressive think tank, said, although news coverage is not even-handed and is still generally skewed toward the Israeli perspective, there has been a massive shift over the past five years in how this issue is both reported and discussed in the United States. We are seeing a shift in the types of stories that are being covered by major outlets, as well as the stances that public figures are willing to take. There are still huge problems, but things are changing. The discourse on Israel-Palestine is nothing like it was in decades past, which is very true. And for me personally, seeing the public discourse change firsthand has been like very surreal uh, and amazing, but really surreal because I think a lot of Palestinians and Palestinian supporters never thought it would happen, <laughs> um, seeing public figures talk so actively uh, about being pro-Palestine. And even though this occupation, this problem seems insurmountable, uh, outing these quote-unquote journalists and news outlets is extremely important because if public opinion and pressure is strong enough, things have to change. And the proof of this is seen in the headline that I mentioned at the very top, uh, where the Times changed their headline because of widespread disgust expressed on social media. And speaking up and sharing the truth on social media is extremely important, especially if you aren't Palestinian, and especially if you live somewhere that is skewing all these news headlines against Palestinians. There's nothing else but your voice left. And Palestinian voices have been and are continuing to be silenced. And this is not simply a Palestinian issue. It's a human issue that calls for humans to stand up when they are witnessing extreme injustice take place, and boycotting works or else Israel wouldn't be so afraid of it. Choosing to remain silent 
is choosing the side of the oppressor. You've heard it before. It's true. Uh, and I am hopeful with the change that we've seen in the last few years with public figures using their platforms to speak out and defend Palestine. Uh, I think it's honestly the best use of their platform, and I respect them for that. Uh, and I know that like the concept of celebrity is ridiculous <laughs> and stupid, but I think if you have the platform and you have millions of people watching you, using your voice in a way to support people that are in danger and like stand up for the oppressed is the one of the only things you should do. And people that I respect, this includes Bella Hadid, Susan Sarandon, Natalie Portman, Selena Gomez, Dua Lipa, The Weeknd, just to name a few. These people are huge names. They have millions of people watching them and they're not afraid to speak up. Especially Bella Hadid recently, like every other story she posts on Instagram is about the Israeli occupation, um, which I really respect. I really respect that she has taken such a clear stance. And utilizing their platform, it does make a difference in public perception because uh, fans that follow her might not follow news or anything else. It's, there's just a lot of crossover that I think is really valuable. And ultimately, I think using your voice is the only right thing to do. And any alternative or silence is simply cowardice. And that's my time. <laughs> that's what I got today. All right. Well, thank you, Shireen. Um, this was pretty bleak, but important. And um, I tried to uplift it at the very end. <laughs> all of you go, go. Okay. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them and what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.